Welcome back to Peaks on Radio's Island Update for the week of August 8th. On Monday, August 9th, and Tuesday, August 10th, the Lions Club invites you to the 72nd Annual Variety Show here on Peaks Island. Come and enjoy the latest crop of Peaks Island talent. You can cheer on your neighbors. That's August 9th and 10th, right at Greenwood Gardens at the Lions Club. Also on August 10th, the TEIA invites you to their lecture series. It was a popular Tuesday evening lecture series. This week's lecture will be delivered by artist Joe Cardiello. Joe was born and raised on Staten Island, New York. He attended the High School of Art and Design, and he also earned a BFA degree from Parsons College. Joe has illustrated Elmore Leonard's 10 Rules of Writing. He also did a 2011 limited edition release of his blues musician portraits called Black, White, and Blues. And his latest book is a graphic journal titled A Fistful of Drawings. So come check out Joe's presentation about drawing and art at the TEIA August 10th at 7 p.m. On August 11th, the 5th Maine invites you to a front porch meetup at 4 p.m. It's entitled Friends Who Like Peaks Island History. You can gather with those who know Peaks on the 5th Maine porch and informally learn about some of our history. And on Friday, August 13th, the Peaks Island Radio Summer Concert Series continues at Jones Landing. The Hedgehogs will be performing with special guest Jack Barrett. You may know him from Why Whisper, performed out here a couple times as well. They'll be performing British Invasion-era tunes with acoustic instruments and, of course, rich vocal harmonies. There's live music, 6.30 to 8.30. Dinner's available at local food trucks. And you can also purchase drinks for on-the-deck dining. On Saturday, August 14th, the TEIA invites you at 6.30 p.m. to a lamb roast put on by Chef Peter Rose. Side dishes include rye panzanella, sauerkraut salad, sweet corn, chard and Swiss cheese gratin, mustard and dill potato salad. It's BYOB for cocktails on the porch. That starts at 6. Seating and dinner begins at 6.45. You do need advanced reservations. Tickets are $30, limited to 100 guests. To reserve a seat, please contact Stephanie Castle at sealights99 at aol.com. And that's it for this week's Peaks Island Island Update. We'll be back next week with more island information and events. Welcome back for another week of local talk here on AM 1700 Peaks Island Radio and peaksislandradio.com. You can also download this segment as a podcast. Go to Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to your podcasts, and you can listen again and again. You can also subscribe, so that way each week, new episodes are delivered right to your phone, and you'll get a nice little notification letting you know that it's there. For this week, we listened in on a conversation by Perry Sutherland that he gave at the Friends of the Peak Sound Library about gardening and his plans for gardening in 2019 and beyond. So Perry's our speaker tonight. He's our neighbor and and a killer gardener. He earned a bachelor's degree in agriculture with a major in ornamental horticulture and landscape design, which is a great combo for his gardening avocation. Somehow he became a social worker in the Whisper schools, but that's another story. But that's a great and good profession too, and it gives him summers off for gardening. So Perry moved to Maine in 1985, and he settled on Peaks in 1989. He first lived on Oakland Avenue, (coughs) keeping a little garden on the postage stamp property he called home. In 1993, he moved to his current house on Sargent Road and began clearing the property and setting up a garden in 1994. Everything went swimmingly until the year of the deer. (laughs) After enclosing the yard, he embarked on expanding (coughs) what he characterized as a more serious kitchen garden. Over 26 years, the footprint has grown from a small set of two to three raised beds to 11 raised beds in a vegetable garden area measuring about 20 by 40 feet. He's also a big fan (coughs) of container gardening. 
Perry says he loves flowers, especially in his neighbor's yards. He's a committed vegetable guy. He pans what he can't eat and following his family tradition, and he gives away more than half of what he grows. Tonight, he'll tell us how gardening became part of his life and give us encouragement in making it a bigger part of our own. Thank you. I have to tell you, I think I am more nervous about this conversation than anything I've ever done. I could stand in front of anyone to talk about Stokes' work ethics, child, like pathology, you name it, that's my life. But I also can talk about my garden like ad nauseum. So I will try to not yammer on. There are amazing gardeners in this room. This man has like transformed the yard next door to me. And we are collectively very excited about having a beehive placed in our garden area this year, which is awesome. Um, so I have to start by showing you, I'm really sorry this is not a large, ginormous picture, but so this is my grandmother, Agnes, and my granddad, Sam. Um, they were, they were, I'm raised, I was raised in Tennessee. This is where I would go in the summertime. They uh, had a dairy farm, tobacco farm, but my grandmother had a, an amazing vegetable garden. And so from like day one, we were out there. Her father was an amazing gardener. And I remember like it was yesterday when I was about probably five years old planting the little okra seeds because I'm a huge okra fan. Mm -hmm. So if any of you get okra by accident and you don't want it, please drop it off at my house. Um, and then the next picture is actually my dad's parents, my, my granddad and my grandma. He was a flower gardener, so he was a railroader had no desire to grow vegetables until a little bit later in his life. Um, but so I was sort of raised immediately starting out as a gardener, um, which was like the best gift ever. So this, you can't see, this is a tiny little picture. These are tiny little hands from 1965 pulling up a tiny little bean plant with little beans under it. And then this is me when I was six years old. <laughs> holding my first ears of corn in my tiny little garden behind our house. It was like amazing. So I sort of got the virus really early on. All right, so I'm just going to start. I'm going to ramble on a little bit and talk a little bit about my garden. I'm going to talk a little bit about the stuff that I brought to you. My favorite plant in my garden is my rhubarb. If you do not have rhubarb, you steal most of my rhubarb whenever it comes out. Oh, I'm sorry. I give you most of my other oh, two of these guys are like amazing rhubarb chefs. Rhubarb is the easiest plant in the world to grow. It's a weed. Get some. It's amazing. If you don't like it, you need to figure out a way to start to like it because it's amazing. I have now four huge rhubarb plants in my garden, mainly because when my barn was built, when Covey came in to dig the holes, chunks of it went all over the place, so it's now everywhere. Um, the only plant that's allowed to grow wild in my garden is lupin. So when the lupins come in, I plant around them. So let's respect the lupin and the lupin lady. We need to make sure we do that. Um, so this is just sort of a quick pick of what my garden looks like in front of the barn. Um, this was a couple, several years ago, actually, before most of the raised beds went in. I always start plants really early. I'm going to actually pass these around. This is my seed starting Bible, so you guys take one, pass one if you want, if you want one. Um, this is a seed planting calendar from Mafka. 
Um, and so I follow it religiously. Like right now I have about 200 tomato plants in my house that are about that big. My peppers are coming up, basil's up, um, leeks and onions went in back in February. So they're about so tall at this point under grow lights. I'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. Um, beets are amazing to start inside if you like beets. Um, I'll talk a little bit about pests. One of the challenges that I run into is I have a terrible problem with flea beetles, um, which will just decimate um, kale, Swiss chard, um, beets, anything. But if you put the plants in large enough, the plants can outgrow the flea beetles. I don't know if any of you guys have infestations of flea How beetles. How big are flea beetles? They are the size of fleas. Oh, no. They are tiny. If you see me out with my my shop vac vacuuming my plants, <laughs> that's what I'm doing. I have not lost my mind yet, but I'm trying to get flea beetles under control. There's a season for them. They tend to start right away in the, as soon as the spring comes, and then they sort of wear out around the end of June. Um, but mine apparently are on some sort of like I don't nuclear. They like your. They garden. love my garden, so even like at the yeah, end the of house, the season. Just no, they're the just in the garden, and they're extremely fast. You go out, you touch a plant, and they all fly away like fleas. And then you look back, and they're there. They'll chew the edges of the of the plants and put lots of holes in it. Doesn't hurt the quality of the plants, but you just have to be mindful of that. So I hope you guys can stay away. I hope it doesn't affect your gardens because it's a real. It can be a real problem, um, and there's nothing really you can do about it. Right, Stephen? Vacuum. Vacuum. That's about <laughs> it. Um, garlic is an amazing crop to grow in Maine. Um, you plant it in late October, early November before the ground freezes. Um, it's always this amazing thing that comes up first. It's beautiful. It grows great. Uh, there are tons of different varieties. I usually harvest about 100 head of garlic a year. And then I put about 20 head back in the ground for our reserve 20 head and just keep planting them. So it's sort of awesome. Any of you guys plant garlic in your gardens? Yes, it does well. It's up already. That's amazing. Um, Lacinato kale, dinosaur kale, my favorite. When I say that I don't plant flowers, I love the texture of all the different vegetables that I put in. Because I don't know if you drive by my house, it looks sort of like a tropical rainforest over there sometimes. The different varieties of kale, that I usually plant four or five different varieties of kale, along with my 12 heirloom varieties of tomatoes. Um, I have a little bit of a problem. I know, I need to go to therapy, <laughs> but I can't let it go. Um, and this is just a shot of the garlic. I don't know if you guys, you guys who, raised garlic, you know how to process it, but generally with garlic, you let it grow. Usually you can harvest it like in late June, early July. You wait until the two bottom leaves are brown and it's ready to come up. And then you want to put it in a dry place that has got lots of good air movement to let it cure for about two to three weeks. And then I, usually, I don't do anything to it. I, and, I, and there's a huge debate about topping garlic or not topping it. So I've done both. I did top half of my garlic one year and left the rest of it. It did affect the shelf life just a little bit, but not too much. Now, you, where you cut the, the uh, scapes off. So when they scape, you want to 
So you, you decide what you want to do. If you like to eat the scape, then it's awesome. It will cause the bulbs to grow a little bit bigger, and they tend to have a little bit of a longer shelf life. Um, what I found, unfortunately, again, in my obsessive compulsive nature, is I have a couple varieties of garlic that create these amazing little bulbels. That's the fruit on the top. And so if you take a bulbel and then you plant that, in three years, you'll have a full-size garlic. So you just have to keep processing it. So again, please don't do what I'm telling you to do because it's insane. <laughs> I, drive, I swear every year, I'm like, I'm not going to do it again. I'm not doing a garden. I'm not just going to like slow down. By now, there's almost no, there will be no place to sit down in my house in about three weeks because there'll be plants everywhere with grow lights everywhere. So between Joe and my house, it looks like we're growing mass quantities of marijuana. All right, so just drive, keep driving on by. It's fine. The houses are like, they look like they're on fire, so don't call 911, especially his. It's got all red lights on it. Um, so this is just a picture of, I love cucumber or zucchini pickles. Zucchini pickles are so much better than cucumber pickles. Um, I did a little thing on um, canning over at the PEIA a couple years ago. Um, I used, my grandmother taught me how to can pickles using the lime process. So it's using um, essentially gardening lime. You buy it, you can buy it where, like, at all the, at several of the, like, at Walmart or um, whatever variety store, but you soak it in lime overnight, and then you, then you boil it down, you put it in the brine, you boil it for about 30 minutes, and you literally could boil these pickles for five hours, and they would never get soft. The lime causes them to stay really crunchy, so even after two years, what do you think, Holly? Do you like the Those zucchini pickles? <laughs> okay. Congratulations, Holly. <laughs> Good answer. So pay attention. You might get a jar or something. All right. So last year, it varies. I based my the I based my year on the number of quarts of tomatoes that I can. So we've had some really crappy years in the last few years in terms of weather. Last year, however, was a bumper year for tomatoes. So I ended up canning um, 24 gallons of tomatoes. Wow. So these are like, because of your reaction, you get to take this <laughs> Let me just give you a spoon, because they're like unbelievably delicious. Pardon? Our own little, oh, oh my god, they're so adorable. Um, so if you ever want to learn how to can, that would be a great thing. Maybe we can, maybe I can talk my colleagues into doing a canning workshop over at the Fifth Main Kitchen one time in the fall. I love canning. My grandmother taught me how to do it when I was a kid. Started with blackberry jelly. I don't know if you ever have picked blackberries in the wild before. When you're small, you're the one that's forced to go underneath the briars. <laughs> And you come out covered in blood, blackberry juice, and lots of ticks. So that was my childhood. But oh my god, the smell of blackberry jelly cooking is about the best thing anyone could ever dream of. So this is what my counter usually looks like for most of, from like mid-August until like late September. Someone is like this, how often are you like boiling things over the stove? Okay, so I pray that most of them come in before I have to go back to school in the fall. My prayers have yet to be answered. So I'm working all day and I come home. It takes about two and a half, three hours to do about two gallons of tomatoes. 
So, but it's like so worth it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then onion. I love growing onions. A lot of people don't like growing them because they take up a lot of. Well, a lot of people think they take up a lot of space. Fresh onions out of the garden are just absolutely delicious. They're really easy to grow. Um, I always do onion and leek starts, and then I always get frustrated because they're not big enough when I want them to go in. So I go up to Allen, Sterling, and Lothrop, which is probably one of the best places to get excellent leeks and excellent onions. I mean, you guys have all your preferences. We all you, have our did own Did you preferences. do my onions? I did your you, and you gave me like two bucket full of sets, and those did amazingly well this last year. So we're in a good climate for that. Beets, truly my favorite vegetable. They do so well. You plant, you can plant them every week for the whole season, and they'll just keep going. Beet greens are the best greens of any greens, better than Swiss chard, better than kale. They're absolutely delicious. I know some people don't like beets. I'm sorry for you if you don't. So, so. <laughs> All right, container garden. Um, peppers. Peppers are a challenge in Maine because they really need warm feet. Um, they do relatively well in raised beds for the most part, but I don't really have good luck with them when I put them in raised beds. Go to Home Depot or Lowe's and purchase um, pots about this size. So I'll put two to three pepper plants in these pots, put them on my deck, and on each plant I'll get probably seven to twelve large peppers. Uh, I grow four different varieties, and this is sort of, you can, just depends on what size you have. I like the black ones because they hold the heat, and they really, you really want to keep the feet warm for peppers, and we won't talk about eggplants, I've never had a good experience. If anyone is good about that, you can teach me how to do that. Um, but the, the peppers are amazing. I grow um, pimento peppers, which are, they look like little bell peppers, but they have very thick flesh. They are like pimentos. If you let them go red, you, you know, um, scorch the skins and cut them up and freeze them, and they are unbelievably delicious. But they're very different than bell peppers. Um, ancho peppers, poblano peppers do really well. Um, and then I do jalapenos and carmen peppers, which are long, sort of spicy, um, red peppers. So, this is, I just couldn't stand it. So I use my stove more often in the, in the fall for like burning things, and I, my fire alarm goes off constantly, so my poor neighbors. So if you ever have any red peppers left over, just, and you don't want them, just drop them off to my house, because I'm happy to take them off your hands. And they really do freeze great. Okay, um, and I would say the same thing about garlic. By the way, if you guys, when you save garlic, um, and you start worrying that it's starting to dry out, go ahead and process it all. Chop it up, do whatever you need to do. Throw it in the food processor, stick it in some Ziploc bags, flatten it out, and throw it in the freezer. And then you just pull it out and just break off a chunk, like it looks like just like a sheet of paper. Just break it off. It's delicious. Um, that was something I had no idea you could actually freeze garlic until I discovered that a couple of years ago. So. Um, so that's one, just a shot of pepper collection. I can never eat all these things. I usually give half of my stuff away, so. Um, sunflowers, um, I've all, I, I grow sunflowers in part because the birds are just so happy when I grow them. 
Um, I usually pick the giant ones because they are just sort of statuesque. You can plant beans around them, they'll grow up and, and vine up them, which is a great um, option. Uh, they don't really hold other kind of viney things like uh, cucumbers and stuff, they're, they're a little too heavy. Um, and then oftentimes they'll self-seed, and that's the other thing in my garden. If the sunflowers start up, they get to stay there and I plant around them because I feel like that's God working his or her little miracle in my garden. <laughs> um, these are Jerusalem artichokes. These are one of the most invasive plants you've ever put in your garden. Anybody have those in your garden? A few of you. Do you eat the Jerusalem artichokes? You do. Do you like them? They are delicious. Um, and they're a member of the sunflower family. And they flower like this in giant mass. And they're absolutely gorgeous. The goldfinches are hysterical to watch on Jerusalem artichokes. They will hang upside down eating the seeds. And they're just so they're like gym, gymnasts. With Jerusalem artichokes, be mindful that you need to generally cook them mixed with potatoes. If you eat Jerusalem artichokes just by themselves, you will think you are about ready, doctor, to go for your next colonoscopy. <laughs> <laughs> or you will want to go for a colonoscopy because you're so bloated, you're like floating around your house. They are delicious, but just a fair warning. Okra. All right. How many of you grow okra? No one, you big losers. <laughs> You're going to have to tell us what we do with okra, because I've had a can of it that scared the Okay, first off, never eat canned okra. That's disgusting. Um, or throw it in soup. It's great, actually. Um, okra is a member of the hibiscus family. It is one of the most beautiful flowers that you'll find in your garden. It's gorgeous. They will not grow on the ground. There's one variety that I have found through pine tree seeds called jambalaya that's specifically um, targeted for northern climates. They're amazing. It's beautiful. You need to eat more okra. <laughs> but you said it doesn't grow on the ground, so you I pot. put them in pots. Pot, yeah. So in one of these large pots, I'll do like five, and they'll start blooming. They usually don't start setting um, fruit until like mid-August. They're sort of slow. They'll flower, but they won't set. Similar to like cucumbers and squash, sometimes they have false blooms. Do you can it or freeze it? Um, I freeze it. Well, what manages to not be rolled in cornmeal and eaten? Or just, yeah, oh yeah, oh, I'll make you some fried <laughs> <laughs> some I think that was the, oh my god, that's probably the first thing I was ever like given as a child by my grandmother, and I think I totally fell in love with it. So. People either like it or they don't like it. So I think it's delicious. So that's just sort of a little collection of okra. And by so and that will grow and keep blooming right until the first freeze. So the plants are gorgeous. They're, they're they stand about four or five feet tall. Um, they are just amazing. They they're flowering every day, and you have to pick every day in September. Um, so they're pretty awesome. Very. How late can you plant them? I'm trying to think of something that that's a you you could you could put you could put okra in the same. Okra really likes it to be warm, so you don't ever want to plant it before probably mid June, um, unless you have it in pots. I start it probably the second week in May, 
uh, indoors, uh, and it does really well, and I just transplant into the pots. And so I'm used to, like in Tennessee, growing up, you know, planting season for tomatoes is May 1st, so we are like so far behind. So I've had to, that's why my house becomes like a hot house. Everything is grown inside. I have like, I'm constantly transplanting stuff, dividing stuff up. Um, so yeah, you could definitely do that and it would probably do well. Um, raised beds, I really have loved my raised beds. The reason that I have raised beds in the house or in my garden is because where my barn is on um, the corner of Pleasant and Sargent, um, there was a house originally there that burned back in the 50s and when it burned, everything, the windows exploded and all the paint went out in the yard and so I have this sort of region of not high lead but medium high lead that's where the raised beds are so I put the beds there and then if you step like 15 feet away the lead content from my yard goes down so I would really encourage you if you haven't already had your lead, have your soil <coughs> tested you definitely want to do testing if, unless you're going right to raised beds and raised beds are great you can do a lot of things with raised beds like these are just like 2 by 12 um, hemlock I strongly recommend these, again, it's your preference, but this is what worked for me. Um, um, Hillside Lumber is in Westbrook, and they mill their own hemlock. Um, it's extremely inexpensive to buy it. It's a pain in the butt to get it here. Um, but it lasts generally 10 to 12 years, um, so it's really a good investment. Um, and what size? It's 2 by 12. Okay, 2 by 12. And, and I have, and my beds are all various sizes. It, you never want to make a bed that's more than four feet wide because you can't just sort of get to the center. Right, right. Um, and then, and so that's just sort of a picture of the boards that are sitting there. Um, Excuse me, Perry, who sells it in Westbrook? Um, Hillside. Hillside Lumber. Hillside. Yeah, they're the only ones that I'm aware of that do, that Rupson, mill their, Rupson yes, Rupson Hemlock. Um, what Hemlock? rough sawn hemlock. So it's so be mindful of it. It's very splintery, so you definitely want to wear gloves or have someone else do it. Um, and if, if there are issues around mobility, it's really easy just to build those up, just double the size. So just do two, two frames, same size, and stack them up and secure them so that it's, you don't have to do lots of bending. Um, they're extremely sturdy. You can stand on them, sit on them, beat the crap out of them. And, and you don't really have to do anything to overwinter them. They do really fine. The other thing, thank you, Martha Stewart, is copper. I don't know if you guys, any of you guys use copper in your gardens? All right, a couple, maybe. Um, copper is a natural repellent for slugs and snails. So this is a very cheap way to get copper. Don't buy the pre-cut copper strips. It's so overpriced. This is copper flashing that generally is used as pressure treated wood. You can get it at Lowe's and I think both places, Lowe's or Home Depot, probably. Um, I don't know if Main Hardware has it or not. This is a 20-foot <coughs> roll, and so you just lay this down, and you can cut this. It's very thin, looks it's deceiving, but it's really thin. It's got a backing on it, and you can just cut it with a utility knife. And I usually cut two-inch strips, so this will make four 20-foot <coughs> long strips. And you put that about two inches below the top of your bed, and <laughs> I should have, I wish I had taken some pictures. So you'll see the snails climbing up to get up and they just sit there and they're like sort of waiting for the next train to get them over the top. <laughs> There's a, an electrical reaction for slugs and snails when they touch copper. So a lot of nurseries will kill everything using not so friendly 
material on their property, and then they literally will put a strip of copper all the way around the outskirts of the property to keep slugs and snails from coming in. <coughs> this island has more slugs and snails than anything imaginable. It's, it's terrifying. Um, so on raised beds, at least, until you have one plant that lays over and hits the ground, it becomes a super highway. So I always try to keep things up. But I really recommend, if you do raised beds, that you get some copper. It also looks beautiful. So, um, But you put it how far down? I usually put it about two inches below the, the lip. Of the, of, the bed. Of, of the bed. Okay, not under the dirt. I t okay, so again, gay neurotic man. I get pennies and I drill holes through the middle of the pennies, oh my God. and then I buy a little copper tacks, and I tack them on. Oh so God. it does look a little Martha Stewart-like. You don't really need to go to that level. You can just use the, like a staple gun to put them on with if you want to. But, um, but you won't come over and criticize. I will not criticize. I might laugh a little bit, but I won't criticize too much. So it's highly recommended, okay. And this is probably, it's not cheap. This is probably going to run you about 65, 70 bucks for this roll. But I can tell you, it's definitely worth it because all it takes is one big infestation of slugs and snails, and they will pick out a bed overnight. Um, How do you amend your soil when you raise beds? Um, well, I, so I buy a lot of ProMix um, to put for the pot, for the pots. And so at the end of the season, all of those pots, I shake all the ProMix off, um, which is just a potting soil, and put that in the raised beds. And then I mix in just regular either cow manure or um, soil that I purchase that's organic. And then I'm a huge believer in seaweed. Um, we have an amazing, when we have a decent supply, um, we have an amazing resource of seaweed. And the best time to put seaweed on is in the fall, cover your beds, let it dry, and yeah, Joe, you do seaweed tea, right? Seaweed king. king. Yes, you are the seaweed king. Uh, so if you ever want a gallon of seaweed tea that you can just drink over ice or a cocktail, then stop by Joe's house. Yeah, he's amazing. Um, but it's a great um, um, thing to add because it, and you have to wash it off or anything. There's not enough salt on it to worry about anything. But in the spring, after it's dried over the over the winter, then you just crunch it up and just turn it. And then I have three composters going in my yard. Composting is a pain in the butt in New England. Um, my rule of thumb is I put something in the compost and I will see it in about 18 months at the bottom. So if this was Tennessee or Florida, in Florida it would be like a month. You know, in Tennessee it's going to be about six months up here. It's probably about a year before whatever you put on the top of the composter is ready to be pulled down the bottom, unless you really are turning it and doing a lot of work with it or using worms. Um, but I usually get about I don't know, 15 gallons, 20 gallons of compost out of my composters every year and mix that in as well. You know, they don't tend to, well, they're always there, but they don't tend to transfer. They're in the top, and actually, they're not bad for your compost. They're actually eating, processing, pooping, doing what they need to do. They're sort of like the worms in the compost pile. But pulling out the compost from the bottom, I've never found slugs, snails, anything from the fresh compost. Um, so some people also throw meat. I don't tend to do that because I have a resident raccoon that, I, you know, he's, I wish he would just go away or I could find whoever's catching them and come down it. But he'll like go take everything out of the top that's all over the yard, whatever. 
but it's all good. Any other questions about that? Um, leeks and onions can go in next week. Uh, if you can work the soil, it's not too early to plant leeks and onions next week. You can probably also, if you can find some decent, hardy kale, collards, um, beets, peas. Oh, peas can definitely go in next week. I, you know, I've given up on peas. They just always get ahead of me. But they're amazing. They're beautiful, and they're great to start. Um, but the soil, they, those things like cooler temperatures. So, um, have any, do you guys plant leeks at all? Any of you guys do leeks? Um, so you know the trench. So the trenching process for leeks, you want to blanch them. So you always want to dig trenches that are about six to eight inches deep, and plant the leeks at the bottom. And they're going to look pretty strong, and you're going to think this is not going to work. Um, but they will grow really quickly, and you just keep piling soil, you bring that soil back around them as they get larger, and that's what gives you that lovely <coughs> white blanching at the bottom, so that by the end, the pyramids are going up the, le up the leaks rather than like um, in the opposite direction. Um, and they're extremely prolific. You've had a few of my leaks from the garden over the years. They're delicious. Uh, that's just a couple buckets of zucchini pickles that I'm sure you may have consumed that are sitting in my sink. Those are, oh, jalapenos are awesome. Peppers are really easy to can. So if you don't want to eat them all, canned peppers, canned jalapenos are amazingly delicious. Um, and I actually have discovered, well, the, the problem with peppers though is that when you process them, they get really soft after a while. What I've done now is that I use the same liming process for jalapenos and green and red peppers. And they are as crunchy and crispy as they were when you cut them, like three years later, and they are amazing. And the liming also takes some of the heat off of the jalapenos, so you literally can eat them like, um, like pickle chips. They're, they're amazing. So I would encourage you to think about that. I hate wasting anything. Uh, I wish this was up here. So, okay, this is what we live for in the South. Can you guys all see that? The cheese? Oh, tomatoes. A tomato sandwich is what God has for dinner every night, the month of August. That's what we all live for. That's all everybody brags about. Have you had your major sandwich yet? No. So, what else do you put on a tomato sandwich? Mayonnaise. Oh, mayonnaise. I'm sorry. I don't know. Salt. No. <laughs> <laughs> and Perry, that's Salt, pepper, and That species of tomato is? This is a black creme tomato, one of my absolute favorite varieties. It's amazing. They are delicious. Uh, this is a typical afternoon for me. That's one, two, three, four, five, six two-gallon buckets full of tomatoes, and that's just one afternoon of picking them. So, yeah, shake your head, Rita. That's what happens. So, so please don't expect me to return a phone call between August 15th and September 30th. Um, corn salsa. This is oh, you have to have this corn salsa. <laughs> There are so many things that are amazing to can. Corn is one of them. So I don't, I don't grow corn. I don't think a lot of people do grow corn on the island because it just doesn't. You don't get quite as much. I mean, you can. I've actually had really. Joe's. Oh my God. 
Carol Litchfield used to grow massive quantities of corn in the yard next door to me, and he would be out there selling them like every day. And they, it was the best corn you could ever eat. It was so good. Um, and I'm waiting for you to pick it up, okay? I know, I know. We're working on it. Um, but it, it's, it, I mean, it's a great, it's a fun crop to grow, but you don't tend to get a lot of uh, production on the island because there's not a lot of pollen in the air. Um, so sometimes you have quite a few kernels that are missing their, their mates. Um, and I do tend to find my little, my little crow friends. Uh, they sort of kind of enjoy my corn when it's out there. So I have to stay in front of them. Uh, this is a striped Roma. So I have 12 different varieties of tomatoes. I'll try not to bore you with them, but I will try to run through them really quickly. So I have Matt's Wild Cherry. Wild uh, Striped Roma, Martino's Roma, uh, San Marzano, Black Creme, um, Amish Paste, which I would say is my favorite of all the tomatoes, um, Mariana's Peace, which is one that I discovered uh, at the Mafka Fair. Um, I have this one variety called East Side, and it's called East Side because I have, it's a, growing on the east side of my house, and I have no idea where it came from. So it's my original east side, and it stays true to its, like, like it's heirloom. This is a striped Roma. It gets these funky spots on it, but it is the meatiest of all the Romas that I've ever seen. Pardon? Like a big mango. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they're really pretty cool. And they're about the, I wish that I had, I wish I had, like, frozen, like, samples of each one of them. Um, Matt's Wild Cherry is an insane cherry tomato that's the most delicious cherry tomato you could ever grow. Just be mindful that it will take over your yard, it will eat your children, your animals will go missing, and it will, it will self-seed for the rest of, I don't know, until the world has ended. Um, but it, they truly are. Are you like, planning to use in the raised beds or the ground? Um, tomatoes generally go in the ground. Or okay. in the race. They sort of go everywhere. But you're supposed to like rotate them, right? I move them around. So each year the raised beds get a different mm. crop of something. Okay. Um, so this year what you'll see in my yard is that all the raised beds are going to have tomatoes in them because I rarely grow tomatoes in them. I tend to grow like beets and leeks and onions and carrots um, mm -hmm. and greens um, in the raised beds. So that's all going to be pushed out into the rest of the garden this year. So. Uh, so some example of, that's, that was a weekend of canning. So that's uh -huh. one, two, two, four, six, eight, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18, 20, 22, 24, 25 quarts of tomatoes. Do you have a basement? No, these things are all over my house. <laughs> I, there are times when I'll open a cabinet and go, shit. I forgot <laughs> So I probably eat a third of what I can, so. Some of it is, oh, my mother, my 86-year-old mother, Billy Sue, wanted me to tell you that, that a significant number of my canned foods have to be transported to Tennessee annually. So <laughs> I load up the car and drive those down there to my aunt and my mom. And my aunt just ran out of tomatoes last week. So I, you know, I'm going to get them down there again before June. But there you have it. Um, they make great gifts, but they're also, I cannot tell you how delicious these tomatoes are out of the jar. Really easy to can. Okay, so my favorite place to get seeds, Pine Tree. I don't know if any, any of you guys order from Pine Tree Seeds. Um, 
Pine Tree is up in New Gloucester, Maine. Uh, they have a great website. They are extraordinarily sweet. They always write a little thanks so much note on your little invoice. Um, the packets are aver they average about a dollar twenty, a dollar thirty a packet because they actually send you the amount of seeds that you really would use. So, right. So you you're doing a kitchen garden. You get a pack of tomatoes, tomato seeds. They're going to send you about twelve to fifteen tomato seeds because that's all you're going to use. I have a hard time throwing anything away, any seeds away. I look at them, I start planting them, and there's, they're all in the little pots, and there's like 15 more over here, and I'm like, who am I? Who am I? And I literally get emotional. It's like, that's why you got that big pile of tomato plants that time, because I just, and, they, and I'm like, I'm carrying them to the compost, going, I, please forgive me. I am so sorry. And then it's terrible. I'm terrible with that. So um, deer fencing, okay? Benner's Gardens is a place based out of Pennsylvania. Um, they are awesome. I purchased the deer fencing that's currently on most of, of my um, garden fencing about 20 years ago. And it's as good as it was when I put it up. Um, it's very effective. Um, there are particular ways that you install it. You want to make sure to install it so that they can't get in, but they can get out. Uh, if they push it down, you just pop it back up and re-screw it in. <coughs> it's not terribly expensive. They ship really quickly. Um, it's called Benner's, B-E-N-N-E-R-S, Gardens. Benner'sGardens.org is their website. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Um, yeah, you yeah, you take advantage of my dear fencing. Oh, and this this is the website for Hillside Lumber. I've already talked about that. Um, and then the other place, just make sure that you get on the Mafka mailing list because they send these great like notices, like the current pests of the week. This is what you can do. Here's an organic treatment for dealing with this. Um, it, it's not an overwhelming series of emails, and they're always extraordinarily informative. And it's a great way, actually, to find out new things that are trendy or um, that could be planted that you didn't even think about. Um, How do you spell Mofka? Mofka, M-O-F-G-A dot org. Um, this is the um, selection on pine tree for the jambalaya okra. I have, I hate to tell you, but they're sold out for this year. So <laughs> if you want okra, you're going to have to come to my house. Um, this is the Amish paste tomato. It's two dollars and fifty cents. I think that you get about thirty seeds on that one. Um, black crim tomato. Again, I think so. I, and I save my own seed. I don't buy seeds anymore. I say I harvest them. Oh, let me show you. So this is all you have to do to save seeds, okay? You take a tomato, you put the seeds on a paper towel, you let it dry, okay? Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> then you take something like this. You take one of the things of seeds that you've dried and you wet it. And then you take what I do, and I know you guys think I'm crazy, but you, I take a little knife and I just peel off each of the seeds, I put it on something to let it dry, let it dry overnight, stick it in a little jar, don't put it in anything that's airtight because they will mold and, and decay. So, and just leave it, and my germination rates generally for the seeds that I save are about 95%. Um, so, and they all come back through, 
So don't worry about them cross-pollinating. They can be right on top of each other. A cherry's not going to cross-pollinate with a flag trim. You're looking at me weird. Don't worry about them cross-pollinating. Ignore the man in the front. Okay, really easy. The same thing with peppers. You know, once they turn red, pop those babies open, peel the peppers off, let them dry out. They're good to go. You don't have to do anything to them. No treatment or anything. 95%? 95% germination. Wow. I know. It's amazing. Good job. Anybody else do seed saving? What do you say? Yeah. That's awesome. You save seeds as well? Peas and be beans are great. Be be beans will always come back true as well, and they're really easy to save. So, uh, you know, it's seed, seed saving is not really rocket science, but it is sort of an art, and you just need to be mindful. The most important thing is mark what it was that you <laughs> saved. Yeah. That can be challenging. Um, okay. Repels all. I could go around and spray this, and you would understand why this would repel something. I actually found a product. I had a problem with a raccoon that decided to use one of my, the, the side of my house, one of the roof sides, um, as a place, as a litter box. So that was unfortunate. And so I would take the hose up there and spray it off. And then lo and behold, the litter box would be used again. I'd go up there and spray it off. So this is a product that I found at Home Depot. That it's, about, it's about 25 bucks for this container. It, it is not dangerous. It has whole egg solids, cloves, and garlic oil. And what I've discovered is that this, if I spray this anywhere where I don't want particularly the raccoon to be, on the, on the side of the compost bin, on the roof, on the tree going up the side of the house, it totally repels the raccoon. I can't say that it, I, don't, I wouldn't trust that this would repel deer. Um, you would have to treat it over and over again. Um, and trust me, with deer, I've tried coyote urine. I've tried everything imaginable aside from a shotgun. Um, so I just wanted to bring that. I, I, I generally don't believe in any of these products, and I was shocked to find something that actually worked. So that's fine. I'm getting no money for the endorsement of this product. <coughs> and that was, and that's it. So an example of their. I mean, I do grow lights in the house, so this is a rather pricey little critter. I don't know, Joe, how much you paid for yours. This was a $59 purchase at Home Depot. They have, they don't have them over in South Portland, but they have a stock of these over um, at the one on Warren Avenue. Um, it's amazing. Um, the difference in the seedlings as a result of being under a grow light versus fluorescent or just any other kind of light is shockingly different to me. Um, or you can go with something that's much less expensive. These cost about six bucks, seven bucks, and then the scroll light costs about 12. So I will use these upstairs, so you'll see the red grow lights downstairs, and you'll see the hanging grow lights upstairs. Because you really need to use grow lights when you're starting seeds early, until really you're ready to put them out in the garden. Um, and I have them on timers, so that works. <laughs> Um, we've been recording this, mm -hmm. so I'm happy to turn it off if people want to do their question and answers without this being recorded. <laughs> or recorded and deleted. I'm blushing, so. Can you tell them why it's being recorded, Stephen? Yeah. 
your mama asked me to record this for you. I'm sure you've heard, there's been some conversation about starting a low wattage AM radio on the island. And we're trying to build the library. So this talk is part of that library that we're building for the radio on the island. Could you just make that up? No, there's other people here who have been meeting. No, that we are. We are. My friends wanted to say hello to you. Hey, Billy Sue. You tell them, you, Mama. Nobody in this room grows okra. That's a problem. Oh, my God, stop talking about the damn bench. <laughs> okay, so you I'm going to tell the you call. the story. Oh, for the love of God, do you, do you have to embarrass me in front of all my neighbors? Thank you very much. That's great, I'm glad. <laughs> I'll talk to you later. Bye. <laughs> I am the reason why you're, I'm responsible for the, you being the man that you are, is what she just said. <laughs> oh, and she sees her darling little Nancy sitting back there. Okay, bye. We got to go. I'll talk to you later. Where in Tennessee is she? she I'm from Knoxville originally. Yeah. So my mom and my aunt came up to visit back in 2005, and I took them back to the bench that's right across from the Terry mailbox near Whaleback, and made them peanut butter sandwiches, peanut butter jelly sandwiches, and iced tea. And so they sat there, and they declared that that was their bench. So I periodically would take a picture of the bench. Well, apparently the bench has a little bit of a rust stain going on the side of it. So she's obsessed that I need to go back and paint it because it's her bench. Oh my God. You can never get away from them. So at any rate. So that's all I got, guys. Is there any, do you have any other questions or? Unless you like garlic and clove flavored beets, you probably want to watch some. But um, you know, my thought about that is I just plant so many; they nibble on mine too. But I plant enough for them to have a little bit of a snack, and then I get the rest. Once in a while, I'll pull up a beet, and three quarters of it is gone. Um, and they also It sounds like you might have had a bad seed. Yeah. I do buy fresh. I don't 
it, it's almost impossible. Well, these are biennials, so they would have to come back up the following year, and they don't really survive. They won't survive the winters here. Um, leeks, actually, I've harvested leeks in February. I've harvested collards and kale in February. Um, they get better after the snow and after the freeze, so don't take them up before the freeze because then you're, they literally, the sugars um, become much stronger, and that's what keeps them from dying. So they are more, much more delicious. Would you consider it blasphemy to put a thin slice of Vidalia onion on your tomato sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> I would just eat my Vidalia onion separately <laughs> dipped in a ranch sauce <laughs> or honey mustard, or maybe just a little squirt of ketchup. Wait, wait, I get your seasonings. Oh, excellent. You, I have never seen okra for sale at the farmer's market in Portland. Um, I did buy, probably the reason why they ran out of seeds. <laughs> uh, I will plant all my seeds, so maybe some will be available for pickup and delivery. Beth's, Beth's, Beth's Greenhouse and where's that? Walderboro, Nobleboro, the rough country in the mid coast. They. They have okra seeds. Are you going? We, we <laughs> that's, that's a little bit easier. We grow them and we use them as annual ornamentals in some of these high-end gardens because yeah. it's as close as we can get to hibiscus. Yeah. Here. And they are—they truly are gorgeous plants. So even if you don't want to eat them, and actually, the po if you don't want to even eat the pods, if you let the pods mature and harden off. You, they're gorgeous. They're like, you can use them in floral arrangements and they're dried. They, you can use them as musical instruments. The seeds <laughs> shape, they're amazing. They're beautiful little pods. Warren, Fence is in Warren. Really well, yeah. Hydrated Warren. plants. I get my hydrated plants and I have little, the, the leaves came across and they, So I was I was thinking about hibiscus. <laughs> hydrangea. Hydrangea. What about the hydrangea plants? And the the, the two leaves came across the bud and they sealed themselves off. Oh, that's just a bud. No, that's that's something else. That's, yeah. That's an insect. Yeah. Do pour I seal it, in. it off or what do I do? We can pop them off. Yeah, cut them off. Yeah. Cut them off, but then they don't have any bud. No, it'll it'll bud. It'll yeah. They'll come back. Hydrangeas can be like severely chopped up. And still come back. It's always on the new growth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What's your diet? Usually from like first of August <coughs> until January, probably fifty percent. I mean, I do depend, and I freeze a lot of. Stuff. Well, I don't have a lot of freezing space, but it's it's mostly canned stuff. I do I do jelly beans and tarragon beans and sage beans and every other kind of bean, all kinds of beans, and lots of pickles, and <coughs> cucumbers, and um, jelly. jelly, and oh yeah, I still have some more things. She said jelly. <laughs> apple, anybody want some apple butter? Oh my god. Apple, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that apple butter is from Joe and Huxton. So that's... Wow. 
pizza aisle and apple butter. You need one tomato for her. She's Italian and she needs you to cook. You can have this other tomato, honey. <laughs> uh, blueberry jam. Oh. oh my God, you guys are all like desperately starving. <laughs> <laughs> There's more. Okay, so quinces, uh, bread and butter pickles. You already got one. I do. I have like three quinces. So there, so I have, and quince again, I consider it a vegetable, because that's a gorgeous shrub. There are two quince shrubs that are in my neighbor's yard that I think they're native. They're the traditional quinces that you see around the pink. They are amazing hummingbird attractants. And then I planted a, a variety next to it that is, has grown like a tree. It's huge. And so that one has these sort of modest little quince apples, and mine has much larger ones. Uh, have you guys ever eaten quince before, processed it before? Oh my god, it's one of the most horrifying things to work with, because it is like an astringent. It takes like the skin off your fingers. It's like if you were to bite into a quince apple, you literally would have to like, I don't know, run milk, like drink milk for like an hour, because it like, it's like alum. It's sort of like just you pucker right up. Is it like a yeah, that's a similar kind of taste, but it makes the most delicious jelly. And what I discovered, thanks to Stephen, is I would usually just take whatever, and see if it's cook it and strain it, tons of pectin, it's very thick. Um, and then I would throw away the essentially the remnant, the paste part. But what I discovered is that you just cook that and you make it into like quince butter, and it is to die for. So on cheese, yeah. on cheese. It's delicious. So. Oh, the horseradish. Oh my god, thank you for saying that. I forgot about that. That's, how many of you guys have horseradish in your yard? That's it? There's one? Okay, what do you do with it, though? I mean, it's just been there forever. You be very careful if you break what you eat. Oh my god. So horseradish is an amazing plant to grow and very satisfying. Even though you can buy it for like nothing at the store, homemade horseradish is so much better. And it's also an amazingly beautiful plant. I wish I had a picture of it. It's actually, it's right, uh, you can't really see it from this angle. Um, it's about three feet tall, and the leaves are like these spears. And it is a perennial, and it will invade your yard and take over like, not it's not like bamboo, but it will move really quickly. Um, but it's a great thing to have if you have an area that just nothing else will grow. It's sort of like, the, it's sort of like rhubarb. It doesn't need a lot. You don't ever have to do anything to it. Um, nothing eats it. Um, and then in the fall, I dig up. I, I, so where it's grown out, I will dig all those roots back to where the original mother plants are and then process it. And then usually have horseradish for, I have it for the winter, I give it away. I always have to bring it to Seder when I go to my friends you know, have those dinner. It's so delicious, but yes, you have to be careful to process it. If you, I, I do it in a food processor, but I put heavy towels 
funnel. It's best to go outside and do it. Yeah, well, you have to turn the machine on. Well, you do. Um, it literally, so. You now got nothing will, no. So, you, what you need, so if you have a sinus infection and you need to have it cleared, process horseradish. Because it literally will rip your face off when you open the top of it. And you're like, you. Th I, I probably have wanted to call Bud at times after I've taken the top off because it's like water is pouring out of my eyes. I can't see, my throat is burning. I feel like, oh my God, I've finally done it. I've blinded myself processing horseradish. <laughs> About three minutes later, it's fine. And then the way you process it actually is that you start it. The sooner you pour the white vinegar in the processor, the sweeter the horseradish is. If you process it longer, it gets hotter. Um, but the vinegar stops the enzyme action. So fresh horseradish is just amazing. And it, I put it on everything. And just sometimes just a spoon. So, Perry, thanks for sharing your passion with us. I, I enjoyed it so much. So, for the next week, two weeks, four months, she's going to be asking me to change my entire home into white lights and gardens. So, my question to you after this course, do you do marital counseling? <laughs> no. I, I just want to know what's going well, you probably have a pretty good Blue Cross Blue Shield anthem policy. <laughs> so that should work. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So between now and then, and I'll stop. So look at those sheets. If, it, if anybody didn't get one, let me know. I'll get one to you. But um, for, you can still plant tomatoes if you want to start seeds now, but you need to do it like in the next few days because there's not a lot of time to get them going. And then zucchini, cucumber, um, all the warmer season crops, you can begin indoors the 1st of May. They take about four weeks from the time you plant them, and then don't plant any. Uh, my rule of thumb is June 1st, never plant a tomato plant before June 1st, okay, because it's just gonna, you're gonna stunt it, and it's not gonna be happy. Uh, you can plant tomatoes even in the middle of June, and it's gonna catch up and do well. I have volunteer tomatoes. I'll plant a tomato plant that's this big, and I'll have a little volunteer that's like two inches tall that came up from last year. That tomato is actually healthier and stronger than the one that I started. So, so it's never too late to plant tomatoes during the month of June. You're still going to get a crop before it's over with. Okay. All right, go home. Bye. Thanks for joining us for an informative talk on Peaks Island Radio by Perry Sutherland regarding gardening on Peaks Island. Hope you found it informative and entertaining and that you'll join us again next week. You can remember to listen Sundays at 7 a.m. or 7 p.m. or check us out at peaksislandradio.com for our archives or to subscribe in your favorite podcast catcher. For eight summer Fridays, Peaks Island Radio teams up with Jones Landing and local musicians to bring you the Peaks Island Radio concert series, 6.30 Jones Landing Fridays. Come here, local musicians, have a few drinks, grab some dinner from Millie Skillet and the Greeks of Peaks food trucks nearby. Coming up on July 16th, Leonard Cohen night. On July 23rd, it's the Hedgehogs with their British Invasion favorites. Come join Peaks Island Radio Fridays at 6.30 at Jones Landing. Celebrate the return of local music on Peaks Island.